What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. I'm excited for this show today. We got a lot to talk about. Obviously, we were not here last week, so we're going to try to fill in as much as we can on today's show. Of course, the big news this week being the retirement of Irvin Meyer. He is going to be leaving Ohio State after this season, which was very, a very tumultuous season for Meyer and the Buckeyes. He announced his retirement uh, earlier this week. Ryan Day, the offensive coordinator, is only 39 years old. He will actually take over as the full-time head coach. So we'll talk about those uh, that situation. Obviously, we'll also talk about the college football playoff and the Heisman Trophy uh, race that we're looking at. We got Alabama versus Oklahoma and Clemson versus Notre Dame in the playoff. And we have uh, Tua Tungo-Vailoa, Kyler Murray, and, uh, and, and Haskins. Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State as our finalist. We'll preview the Heisman race. Also, big news regarding the NFL and the Kareem Hunt scandal. Of course, he was cut last week. The Redskins um, considered Callan Kaepernick and decided not to bring him in. So we'll talk about those two stories. And we got an NBA story this week. I think a pretty uh, interesting write-up this week by Rick Buecher talking about um, the Los Angeles Lakers as a destination or maybe not so much a destination with LeBron now in the fold. So plenty of stuff to get to. Of course, we got our Who's Flames, Who's Trash segment. We got NFL picks. We got Kendall's core. All the good stuff happening. Kendall, of course, joins me. As always, Kendall, it's good to hear from you after not, not doing sports talk this last week. Uh, what are you looking forward to talking about today? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stories uh, this week, EJ. Um, a lot of football. We haven't talked uh this much football in a long time, but uh, we're reaching the end of the college football season. Bowl season is upon us, yep. and the NFL got unexpectedly uh, dramatic this week. So yeah. we'll, it, it felt like a week in the NBA, so we'll uh, discuss those stories as well. Um, and for Kendall's Court, I'm going to uh, give you guys the ultimate sleeper to watch out for the 2019 NBA draft. Ooh, draft talk My already. Ultimate we may be going beyond Division One for this guy. <laughs> okay. So we'll be talking. All right. So it's something to look forward to at the end of the show. Um, it's funny. You mentioned how, like, the NFL has been super dramatic this week. kind of reminds me of that. Have you seen that meme where it's, like, uh, in the, for the NBA, it's, like, uh, this X amount of days in which the NBA has yeah. not been unnecessarily uh, dramatic? That's how I feel with the NFL a little bit this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk. Uh, before we get to that NFL drama, let's, let's begin uh, with Urban Meyer. So like I said earlier, and somewhat a surprising move. Some of it was a little bit telegraphed uh, earlier, la- later last week. Ohio State I was football. Say, I was like, did you watch the Michigan game? Well, that was surprising. Yeah, I, I, that's true. Um, that but, dude looked like a he looked like a dead he looked like a dead man walking. Well, the Maryland game was well, the Maryland game. He just was. I mean, yeah, that one too. I didn't think he was going to make that game. <laughs> that's how crazy he looked on the sideline. But um, and so maybe not surprising to some. I still was surprised. Uh, that happened so immediately after the season that uh, Ohio State coach Urban Meyer announced he was stepping down at the end of the season. Meyer helped lead the Buckeyes to another Big Ten championship and a trip to the Rose Bowl, but the season was one filled with turbulence. He was caught on Big Ten Media Day before the season, lying about his knowledge of his assistant coach's alleged spousal abuse and was suspended for that situation. Uh, 39-year-old offense coordinator Ryan Day taking over the job uh, permanently or at least full-time. Uh, he signed a five-year deal worth about $4 million annually, and he'll take over the job after Ohio State faces Washington in the Rose Bowl. 
Now, Kendall Myers says he, quote, believes he is done coaching. Do you believe him? <laughs> he believes he's done coaching. I, I look, man. I mean, when I heard he was retiring, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. The way we've seen uh, him kind of uh, maneuver around those, on those sidelines for Ohio State the last couple of weeks, he clearly looks like a guy that uh, is burnt out. Um, clearly looks like this season has certainly got to him physically. So I'm not surprised that he needs to take time off. Um, when I heard retire, even then I was like, yeah, I mean, he's not that old. But It's only 54. Yeah, That's very 54, young which, college football yeah, coaching. I mean, the same age as Jim Harbaugh. And Jim Harbaugh still has plenty, right. of, yeah, still has plenty of uh, time to go, you would think. But um, I still was like, yeah, I mean, he's had a lot of health problems. You know, he's already done everything you can do at this point uh, in college football, so wouldn't be shocking for him to retire. And then I saw the quote where he says, I believe I am done. And I'm <laughs> like, well, then you're not. If you if you were 100% certain I'm retiring and I'm never going to coach again, that's all I got to say. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that you still can't change your opinion, but the fact that you're like, the fact that you can't even convince yourself that you're done is proof that this is more of a, I just don't want to coach right now. Yeah. it's too much. So my only out is to retire. Or I guess he feels like that's the best out, as opposed to just resigning. Which, for whatever reason, he felt, I guess, I don't know if he feels like a, re- a resignation would be an immense of guilt. Mm-hmm. But um, he's deciding to go the retirement route. This won't last. Um, now, there are people out there that are writing the stories, you know, oh, like Bleach Report had an article saying, you know, Ohio State won't be the last job or Meyer leaves in disgrace or something like that. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I won't go that far. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't speak for, yeah, I can't speak for yeah, next job. Yeah, Cle- Cleo, uh, Cleo the psychic out there, uh, out there doing uh, hot takes on Urban Meyer. Yeah, I mean, that that seems extreme. I mean, what if he ends up at Bowling Green? I mean, they're really going to leave, is he going to leave the job in disgrace? I don't know. But, um, but what I will say is that I would be surprised if this were the last time Urban Meyer coached the football team. Could be in the NFL, could be in college, um, but I do expect him to be patrolling the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, at some point. yeah, I mean, fifty-four years old is like that's like your coaching prime, really. I mean, that's like <laughs> it really is. That's like when you really kind of you know build up your legacy. You know, yeah, you make a name for yourself. Yeah, that's not you know, some guys get their first head coaching job at fifty-four, so. I know he's, you know, started very young. He's been coaching for twenty years. Um, you can make you can make an argument. Urban Meyer is kind of like a prodigy. Like I, I think that that would be fair to say in terms of coaching. Like you think of like his start at Bowling yeah. Green and like his rise to Florida and what he's done at Ohio State. Like, yeah, he's like he's almost like the, like the epitome of the hot young coach and like what that guy could be. It's Urban Meyer. So, um, so yeah, I he didn't see for someone who was doing a retirement speech. He didn't seem all that at peace <laughs> with what was happening that he was leaving and all, like he didn't, he didn't seem like a guy that was like, yeah, you know, I'm like, you know, I've done all I can do here. Like, like he, you know, he just didn't look like that. You know, he, his quote, you know, I believe I'm done coaching. I mean, that's just like, that that's, that's an obvious tell that he can't say for sure that he's not done. And for someone like him, I think that we've seen that he, he's a guy that, you know, whether it be health issues, which he, he is dealing, he has been dealing with, 
uh, he used that as his reason to leave Florida twice. One time he came back almost immediately, and then the last time he actually left, he stayed gone for a couple of years before going to Ohio State. Um, the health issues we saw on the sidelines were an issue for him this year. Um, but they, to me, coaching seems to be in Irvin's blood, so I can't imagine he's staying away with good years left still in his career. Um, in terms of the whole scandal he dealt with this season, I think that that absolutely played a part in this. I think that we'd be remiss or I think we'd be uh, naive to think that, you know, had that situation not happened, he wouldn't be coaching Ohio State next year. I almost would 100% guarantee you that if he, we'd never had that whole Zach Smith scandal, Urban Meyer would be coaching the Rose Bowl and on the recruiting show getting ready for the uh, 2019 season. So that, that played a part. So for me, like, you know, it is what it is. You know, I can't say, like, oh, like, I feel, you know, super bad for Urban. You know, he's had a great college football coaching career. This is the end. But, uh, but I mean, how he handled that situation was a, a, a was an embarrassment. And I think, you know, with how they played this season, with how they finished the season, with that thumping of Michigan, a Big Ten championship, a trip to the Rose Bowl, I think he kind of looks at that and says, yeah, if I can get out now, um, I could live with this. And it means if it means I get another job or maybe maybe I don't get another job. But like, I don't know if he wants a whole offseason of more digging into the, the skeletons of what's happened at Ohio State and Florida during his coaching tenure. This might be the time to get out. So I think that's what he's doing. He being, I think for him, for him, I think he's being smart about it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if this is going to be one of those deals like it was last time where it was like when the next big job opens up that like is in desperate need of I mean, a, people are already linking him to USC. Hire. People are already linking him to USC. I mean, that's the job that I'm thinking of uh, where it's like USC will be open T-minus at least two, three at, at the most. Uh and that might that will certainly be enough time though for the timeline for Meyer to come back. Uh, there will be other jobs that we aren't thinking of right now. Maybe LSU will be open in two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe Texas will be open. I don't know what job it'll be. Although it'd be ironic if he ended up taking on, you know, taking Tom Herman's job, given uh, what was reported with that whole deal. But um, ultimately, though, on the other side of things, I don't know how I feel about. Well, I know how I feel about Ohio State hiring Ryan Day yeah. as his replacement. I, that that this screams Clay Helton two point You know when USC replaced uh, was Ed Orgeron with yeah. Clay Helton, I screamed, "This is uninspiring. This will not work. Uh, he'll be gone in five years." And I mean, he's still there. Uh, I'll talk about USC <laughs> later, but <laughs> but he's still there. Whether or not he should be in a whole other conversation. But um, I can guarantee you that the fans and the USC faithful are not very pleased with the job Clay Helton has done there. And Ryan Day did a fine job early on, uh, earlier this year as interim. You know, he's respected amongst the program. There was talk that he may be the coach in waiting earlier in the year, but. If we're doing this, why didn't we hire Luke Fickle, Luke Fickle when Jim Tressel uh, was ousted? 
you know, why, why, I mean, maybe Ryan Day's a better coach than Luke Fickle. I don't know. He's, I mean, Fickle got the, Fickle got, did the, he was the interim coach for a while. I think he did the, he was the whole year he was interim coach. Right? Yeah, he did the whole season. Right. I mean, Day only did like three games. So, like, I mean, they saw a six and five or whatever they were season. And I, I mean, it, it was probably not the fairest thing, but they were like, oh, we're not moving on with Fickle. Yeah, I, I feel I. Yeah, I feel it's, like, it's a little different, um, you know. It's just like when you have a major job like Ohio State, I feel like it's important to uh it's important to go out and get a coach that like has cachet, you know. And it's not like you have to have a coach that has cachet because the program has cachet in and of itself. So you need to have a great coach. But they've they've it seems like they were so concerned when you're, when it's impossible to just replace a coach like your Meyer with continuity. When you try and do that, that's how you end up with Clay Helton. That's how you end up with, you know, coaches where it's like, this guy is just a, a you know, a, a watered-down version of the legend that we're trying to replace. Um, so that's where I'm like, Ohio State could have gone out and hired literally almost any coach in the country, you know, with where their program is now. But I don't know. Really, I guess you know Gene Smith really likes Ryan Day. Thinks he can do the job. Maybe he can. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit because he's not a brand name yet. But uh, it just seems premature for a guy whose resume doesn't really scream head coach of Ohio State. Um, I mean, I think the one thing about Ohio State is, at it's very few programs I feel like kind of sells itself. But when you think about the names that have been Ohio State head coach, I mean, I mean Jim Tressel was the head coach of Youngstown State, and he he was just a dude who like knew the Ohio area, was like a you know kind of an urban legend there, but like nationally he was I don't think he was a name that had this big coaching resume to back him up before they gave him the job, and obviously he had massive success at Ohio State. Um, you know, someone like John Cooper, you know, he coached at Arizona State only a couple of years, one Rose Bowl. He gets a job at Ohio State. He keeps it for, you know, almost a decade. Uh, you know, ever, since Woody Hayes, I feel like they've been kind of just getting, besides Urban Meyer, I feel like they kind of just been getting guys. I don't know if they've, like, got this major splash, you know, before, uh, before Cooper, it was Earl Bruce who coached Iowa State, and his career record at Iowa State was 36-32. and 32. He came in Ohio State his first year, won 11 games. <laughs> like, there's a, there's a, it's very few organizations, or you can call them organizations, I know they're schools, but you there are very few organizations in college football that I think sell themselves, honestly. I think a lot of times you need somebody that's like a, a, a face and has to be that head coach. Ohio State might be one of the few where it kind of sells itself. Um, Notre Dame was like that for a while. It's not like that anymore. But Ohio State, um, part of me kind of feels like, uh, you know, at t- you know, SC, we've seen their issues. But when SC's right, I think SC can kind of sell itself. Um, in regards that if you get the talent, because you know, my thing is you're going to get the talent. If the coach can coach, it doesn't matter who he's from or, like, what his background is, you know? So 
I, I'm willing to give Jay a shot. And I think the one of the things we got to think about, too, is, you know, especially when we look at the NFL, the guys that have been successful have not been this, like, established guy who's coached for 10, 15 years and, you know, uh, has a name for himself. It's been, like, you know, uh, a McVay, uh, you know, these kind of young up-and-coming guys who, who are kind of the future. And they, they kind of see the football, see football through – a, a different lens than some of the old heads do. So I think Day could be an underrated great hire. Right now, he's super cheap. Your The talent pool is just flush. And he's a good offensive coach. There's no, I mean, Ohio State's offense this year was dynamite. And he's done a great job since he's been their offensive coordinator. So I think this could end up being like Lincoln Riley. Those are the kind of guys that these schools, I think, are realizing that maybe they should be looking at instead of going for just another big name who got fired from somewhere else or, like, a guy who's, like, on a step below trying to step up to a place like Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when Lincoln Riley got the job, that was also a bit of a a, a gamble. But he had had, like, his resume at, at East Carolina was also very uh, – was also very strong. You know, he had had a resume of this guy as a, an offensive genius. Um, not that Ryan Day, like you said, he's done a great job with the Ohio State offense this year, but I just feel like they seem to be one of those programs where their offense has been great under Urban Meyer, almost regardless of who the offensive coordinator is. And, you know, I just wonder if this is one of those deals where he's kind of just right place, right time, and now he's a coach at Ohio State. You know, had this been five years ago, it would have been Tom Herman. But the way things have have shaped out, he's now the head coach. And, I mean, good for him. But I don't don't really know. I mean, I don't know if he's like – I mean, he was the the QB coach for the Eagles and the 49ers not too long ago. So it's not like he doesn't have high-level experience. But this is – this is not going to be an easy job. And we've seen at Michigan – their counterpart that you can't just have anybody as a head coach. You know, Brady Hoke was just a guy. And we saw what happened in Michigan uh, with him and Rich Rod. Rich Rod yeah. was a terrible fit, and it didn't work. Then he went to Brady Hoke, who was just a guy, and it was just as bad. But I think those are uh, different scenarios, Kendall, because let's compare Oklahoma to Michigan in those situations. Remember, Michigan, when Rich Rod and Hoke took over, they were kind of a mess. Hoke, uh, Rich Rod took over for... Lloyd Carr, where they were okay. They weren't terrible, but, like... They were good. It was just a change of philosophy. Change of philosophy. And and they weren't elite. They weren't, like, a team that was competing for national championships. Like, that was why Lloyd Carr had to retire. They forced him out of there. So, the talent pool wasn't as flush as it is at Ohio State right now. When Hope got the job, the place was, you know, the place was terrible. It It was all a mess. So he takes over the job, and yes, there's more of a risk, I think, with taking someone like that when the house is on fire. But you live in a in a ten million dollar penthouse, like what Day's living in right now, or oh, like like, like uh, what Lincoln Riley was living in when Bob Stoops stepped down. That's a lot different. And that's where I think you can maybe take more of the risk. You feel okay? This is a complete disaster. We can always still go out and get that big name coach, and whenever we want. But right now, the situation is intact. We can save some money. And this guy has shown that he's a smart offensive coach. Maybe he's the next big thing. So I, I'm yeah, look, actually okay Gene with it. Smith, Gene Smith 
and the Ohio State Athletic Department. They know Ryan Day, and Urban Meyer knows Ryan Day a hundred times better than I do. Yeah, he he called him elite. My, I mean, I don't, I know diddly poo about Ryan Day, so it's it's hard for me to to knock him. But what I'll say is, I can say this for a fact, and this is probably isn't fair to Ryan Day because he hasn't really coached beyond a couple games as an interim. But what I can say is, he wouldn't be on my top thirty coaches in college football list because he hasn't done it. And if, at Ohio State, I feel like, wow, we don't have one of the 25 best coaches in college football. When we, just this season, the past four seasons, we've had a top three coach. That's, that's like, wow. So now we're going to have to really, we're going to have to really, like, we're really, like, throwing it at the dartboard right now. I hear you, but Gene, Gene Smith in his press conference, he really stressed continuity. And that's why I keep going back to like is, that's that's I feel like that's a that's a way that's a strategy right there. We think the about con- that, but continuity. But Kendall, they, it's scary. It's Urban Meyer. I don't know why they're so scared. Change at Ohio State. But Kendall, Urban Meyer's record at Ohio State is like ridiculous. Like, I like to me like this is one of the times where like oh yeah I can understand wanting continuity. Like, I mean, let me, I know his record: twelve and 0, 12 and two, fourteen and one, twelve and one, eleven and two. 12 and 2, 11 and 1. I mean, his record is ridiculous. Like, that's the kind of guy, yeah, I would want to keep continuity. Now, we, yeah, a couple, we got a guy who's going 8 and 8, every, 8 and 5 every year, or, you know, 9 and 3 every year. That's a little different. But, like, that is continuity you want to keep. So, this, this is going to go one of two ways. This mm-hmm. is going to go continuity, like, Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL and then David Shaw becoming that coach. And David Shaw also kind of a no-name and is now looked at as one of the 10, 15 best coaches in all football. You know, like, that was great. But then you could also have, like, Chip Kelly going to the NFL. You hire Mark Helfrich, and it's like, well, we need continuity because we have this gimmick offense. And it works well for, like, a year or two because you have Chip's players. And then you realize, oh, yeah. Mark Helfrich can't run a football program. He's just an <laughs> offensive nerd. Right. You know, so yeah. like, they, I mean, this is going to go one or two ways, you know, for uh, Gene, Gene uh, Smith's case. Uh, I would hope that it's the David Shaw route um, or the Lincoln Riley route, like you mentioned. But I, I would also be concerned that this is a pre because Mark Helfrich was also a guy that kind of didn't have much of a uh, a track record. He kind of was just yeah. a guy. And but they gave him the job because they needed an offensive coordinator to run the offense. Yeah, that was a terrible mistake. So yeah, no, it's it's that it's a risk. I'm not saying it's not a risk, but I, I think this is a rare occasion. Again, you talk about a place like Oregon, like Oregon does not sell itself. Like that's a situation where no, you need to get a real head coach, even if you have you've had great success with the last guy. Like Ohio State is a place that this kind of has sustained sustained success. If you wanted to go that route, I could I could understand wanting to do that. Um Prior to the Bryant news, the biggest story in college football was, of course, the reveal of this year's uh, college football playoff. It shouldn't come as a surprise as many. Uh, with all the conference championship games results uh, coming in uh, chalk, Alabama will face Oklahoma in a one-versus-four matchup in the Orange Bowl. Notre Dame will take on Clemson in Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. Georgia, the Buckeyes, and UCF, though they will probably claim they are still national champions, uh, were left out uh out in the cold in this situation. Before we get to the uh, picks, Kendall, or you know, breaking down the game, do you think they got it right? The committee with these four teams. 
Um, yeah, yeah, they got it right. You know, I want to. There, there, there is that feeling of like you want controversy. You want to. You want to be contrarian. But uh, when you look at the four teams that got in, they all have basically done everything they've been asked to do over the last five to six weeks to get into the playoff. So what are we going to debate? I also understand that every other team outside of Georgia has also done what they've been asked to do to get into the playoffs. That includes UCF, uh, Ohio State. But, I mean, it's why we need more than four teams. You know, (laughs) you can't tell all these teams. Just win out, control your own destiny, you control your own destiny, just and then worry about yourself. Worry about what you're doing, and then you. I mean, Ohio State throttles Michigan. What more could they have done? I mean, they didn't dominate Northwestern, obviously, but I mean, like they couldn't have looked more impressive than they did against Michigan. Uh, but well, I mean, Oklahoma beat Texas, you know. So am I going to not put Oklahoma in? So that's a deal. Georgia. I mean, I feel like Georgia. If there's any team that should be most upset with this format, it's Georgia. If we're being real, right? Like they, they, I, I don't, I can't put Georgia in the playoff. But if I'm being real, they're probably the second or third best team in the country. Yeah, I think, and, I think there's no question that of all the teams in the country, they will always have the best chance to be Alabama. Yeah, it's, it's clear. It's Kirby clear. Smart. Yeah, he knows how to draw up a game plan to. Have a chance, have a shot to beat Alabama. He's done it two years in a row. Um, but the other thing is that when you look at, well, yes, Georgia almost beat Alabama, and yes, uh, Georgia lost. So it's like, well, that you would think that would eliminate them. Am I? If I'm, if you're looking at it from Georgia's perspective, we went into this game. What were they ranked third going into the week, and? They're facing Alabama team that we at this point we all assumed were juggernauts, unbeatable, unstoppable, and they beat them closer than any. They lost to them in a game closer than anybody could expect any team in the country to play Alabama to. They blew the game. <laughs> they should have won. Yeah, they blew the game. They Again, won the game honestly. Yeah, and am I really going to penalize them for having to play Alabama only because they're in, or, or they could they have said, "No, nah, we're going to forfeit this week." Because we don't feel like playing. I'm I mean, like, what do yeah. you want them to do? Yeah, it is kind of like a, a, like they're a prisoner of the division system, the, the conference championship system. The we happen to be in the same conference as Alabama, so we happen to play. I mean, Ohio State played nobody this week. Northwestern's a nice team, but obviously it's not Alabama. Same with Texas. Same with Pitt. <laughs> you know, like all the same the teams that were in the playoff conversation. Even same with Memphis with who UCF was playing, these teams were playing cupcakes compared to Alabama. Right. So am I going to really – and Notre Dame didn't even play anybody this week. So am I really going to penalize Georgia for having to play Alabama in a game when, I mean, outside of that one game that they lost, their resume is no worse, if not better, than all the teams that won this week. So it's it's tough, but at the same time, do I really want to see Georgia play Alabama for a second week in a row? No I don't. way. I like you had your shot. You yeah. missed. I, I mean, it is. It's it sucks. Do I think that Oklahoma will do a better job? Unlikely, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I hear you on the Georgia stuff. My 
sympathy for them can only go but so far. And part of it's kind of because of how they lost. I almost feel like maybe I'd feel differently had they, like, you know, kind of like, you know, they took them right to the goal line like Andy Murray uh, Andy, uh, Andy Murray did a couple of uh, years ago. Or not a couple, maybe like four or five years ago at the SEC Championship game and, like, couldn't get in. Like, maybe i say, oh, man, they were so close. Like, that sucks. But, like, for them to, like, have the lead, be dominating the game, Tua get hurt, the backup come in, who you you busted up last year in the National Energy game. He comes in and busts you up. And shout out to Jalen Hurts. That was a big-time performance, him coming off the bench. But he, you lose like that? Like, to me, like, you had your shot, fam. You come at the king, you best not miss. And Georgia missed. And, I, I, I look, it's, you're right. They're a prisoner of circumstance. Oklahoma, Ohio State, uh, Clemson, all these other teams, UCF, they didn't have the luxury of, or they had the luxury of going into games where they were going to be heavily favored. Um, maybe Oklahoma is a little closer, but, like, they were favored in that game still. And Georgia is in a situation where, look, you're in a conference with Alabama, and as long as you're in a conference with them, and you're, as long as you have to play them in a conference championship game, you're almost always going to be doomed. You're almost always going to have a tough time getting in unless you beat them. And those other teams will never have to play a team that good. But it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, the SEC does get a lot of breaks when it comes to, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt and constant strength of schedule and what we think of them and what that means for the ranking. So it goes both ways. Uh, in terms of the teams that were there, uh, I, I'm fine. I don't think Ohio State had a case for me. Uh, they looked terrible before they played against Michigan. And that Michigan game was great. But I'm sorry, Kendall. Michigan fool's goal, it, it complete fool's goal. We didn't get to talk about them. They would have been trash for me last week. But you know, we saw in that game that they're still surprisingly a year, maybe a couple years, still away from competing at that elite level. So, uh, so they, yes, that was a nice win. But I think that had a lot, a lot to do with Michigan and maybe a little less to do with Ohio State. And and then UCF, I mean, it, uh, I, I hate that they still can't get a look, but I think if a team like Oklahoma has one loss and they're undefeated, they're just never going to get that look. It's kind of is what it is. Yeah, no, the, the UCF thing. I mean, I, I've been complaining for weeks that you know, I mean, it'd be it'd be there's no reason for me to complain at this point. I've been complaining for weeks that you know they've been getting kind of gypped, but I mean, one you factor in the injury to McGenzie Milton, yeah. Um, that kind of, regardless of whether or not they went undefeated or not, that wiped them out just because now you would think that it's impossible for them to compete against those top four teams. Um, with that being said, I hope they beat, like, what are they playing, LSU? Yeah. Yep. Hopefully beat LSU. I mean, that would be, uh, I mean, they kind of, honestly, it's sad, but they kind of have to beat LSU, like, for next year, which that yeah. shouldn't be. That shouldn't be the discussion. Of, you have to win your bowl game this year if you want a shot to make the playoff. No, it's Thank true, you. though. But, but, like, they need that boost of, like, oh, yeah, we did two years. Are you really going to keep us out now? Yeah, I mean, before um, Milton's injury, the only reason why they were even in the discussion this year was because of the game they had in the bowl game last year. Yeah, the Auburn game, where it was like, well, they beat Auburn. Are we really going to keep denying the team or saying that they're a fix? So it's a shame that we have to think like that. But, um, yeah, UCF... They need to prove themselves some more. Um, I definitely feel like they're we're they're still saying people are still saying that we're not 
in terms of people, I mean, you know, people within the this college football playoff committee and things of that nature are still continue to say that we're not any closer to getting the 18 playoff. Um, I mean, I think it's foolish at this point to not have an 18 playoff because, I mean, honestly, I feel like they do it because they like the controversy. But it's kind of like the BCS. It's better. Yeah, basically. It's better than the BCS, but I do think a lot, a long for a long time, it was the controversy of like the BCS liking being in that conversation, and that kind of helped kept them from making doing what was right in terms of going to some kind of playoff. I mean, I, I think we'll get it sooner than we think the expansion. I can't. I can't tell you no when, but. There would, there would be no controversy if this were an 18 playoff. Absolutely. Like this, the top eight teams get, are easily the top eight teams. You wouldn't have any discussion about anyone else. Yeah, nobody would complain that, oh, but we're not putting Washington in? Yeah. Nobody would. Yeah, what, what, what happened to Penn State? No. Like, those teams would have – they wouldn't be discussed. And I think – you know, because I think that's the whole – that's some of, like, the nonsense arguments you get. Like, oh, we go to eight, then you could be going to be like, oh, I'm the 19th they didn't get in. No, no one's doing that. Sorry. Um, no one that we care about or that has any say is going to do that. So I, I think it's going to come soon. Uh, I'm not sure what it's going to, when it's going to be, but I, if it was done within the next two to three years, I'm really harping on two. I, I would not be shocked. I would be much surprised if it, after three years, we don't have an expansion that would shock. Me. So a little bit of, 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 uh, temporary pain for this. Uh, I know we don't, we don't, maybe don't want to do, picks yet because we we'll probably do picks closer to the game but any early handicaps on these matchups i think that people are well, giving oklahoma kind of a I, I think oklahoma has a puncher's chance man i mean they have you could argue that the best player in the game exactly. i wouldn't make that argument but some people make that case so um that automatically you would think give them a shot uh this is kind of the matchup we went to see last year before Georgia beat Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. Um, I, I, w- I wouldn't say Oklahoma has no shot. Uh, I actually think that, I mean, they have a much better shot than Notre Dame would have. Uh, Clemson, I think, would also have a good shot at Alabama. But they're one of the five teams I would pick to have a shot at Alabama. If anybody in the country, they would be one of the five. So, um this should certainly be a fun game. You have the two best quarterbacks in the country uh, by far, I think. And I think the two best players in the country, especially on offense. So it's going to be a very fun game. It's going to be a very fun game to watch. The Notre Dame Clemson game is honestly, that's going to be kind of meh. You know, it might be a good football game. I, 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 I think it's going to be a good game. Yeah. But it's kind of just like. Who who gets the honor of losing to Alabama in the, in the championship game? You know, mm-hmm. not to say that Clemson would have no shot, but I just feel like, especially Notre Dame, I feel like would have no shot against Alabama. I just don't have a good feel for Clemson this year because of the ACC being so terrible. Like I, I can't, yeah, I don't know what to, but yeah, but I don't know what to make of any of these wins. I mean, their last five weeks they've looked great: fifty-nine to ten to FSU, 77-16 to Louisville, twenty-seven-seven BC, thirty-five-six Duke. 56-35 South Carolina, 42-10 Pitt in the AC Championship game. What am I supposed to make of any of those games? Uh, all, all those teams are terrible. <laughs> like, they haven't played a real game since Syracuse. And we saw Notre Dame stomp Syracuse, and they played a very close game because Syracuse at home, they barely got out of there. So, 
that was a long time ago. They could be a much better team now. We certainly know their defensive line is fearsome, and Trevor Lawrence has improved over the course of the season. But to me, this Notre Dame game is like a show me game for them. Like I gotta see what they're even, what they even are, and if they dominate Notre Dame, then I say okay, I'll be interested in whatever this matchup is. Indeed, if it is Ohio State, I mean Alabama. But until then, it's like I gotta see. I I don't know what to make of this. What 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 I've seen Clemson do to these. Uh, terrible ACC teams. That's not gonna move the needle for me at all. Um, but yeah, I think I think Alabama. I think Oklahoma's getting a little bit of a. I'm not say a raw deal. Cause, I mean Alabama. We know what Alabama's about. But man, you give me Kyler Murray and Lincoln Riley to come up with a game plan a month in advance. They're gonna have something for Alabama. I'm gonna say that they're gonna have something. I think that I'm not sure if that's gonna last beyond a quarter or even a half, but. They're going to cook some stuff up that maybe we weren't anticipating. And and I, I think that matchup between Saban and Riley, the the, the, the mental game of, of putting this game plan together, uh, it's going to be great. I think that uh, Alabama would have loved to see Oklahoma jump to two or three. Like I think the fact that, you know, while there, it's great to have Riley, you know, to game plan him for him for a month, I think they would have preferred to allow their defense a week. Riley a week to figure out how to stop this ridiculous defense or score in this ridiculous defense rather than give him a month to look at Alabama tape and figure out a game plan to beat them. But it should be should be fun either way. Uh Kendall, who who you got in the Heisman? We got we got Haskins, you got Tua, we got uh we got we got uh, Murray. Who who's your pick? We'll go with Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um yeah, no, the conversation obviously is revolving around Tua and Kyler Murray. Uh, I'm surprised. A lot of people are now saying Kyler Murray is a favorite. <laughs> I think that that's uh, I mean Kyler Murray, great player, great college football player. Uh, I would draft him the first round in the NFL if I knew he would play for me. Um, excellent talent, but I there's no way that that I'm uh not calling with Tua Tungle by law. People want to talk about the stats. You want to say, look at the stats for Kyler Murray versus Tua. Well, I'm like, Tua hasn't didn't play in a fourth quarter for like three months, two months. So it's like that's skewed. Yeah, Kyler Murray has more touchdowns or what have you. But obviously, if you cut a guy's, you cut every game short because he's beating every team by forty points. The stats are not, aren't going to look good. Um, if you want to talk about. You know, Tua hasn't played as well the last couple of games. Of course, he's slowed down. Kyler Murray's played great down the stretch, but um, last time I checked, Alabama hasn't lost a game in that stretch. They're still undefeated. I don't know. The, the point of the game is to win, and they've done that, and Tua's played well in all, almost all of these games. Uh, and Plus, he's been banged up a lot of the stretch as well. I, I don't see how Tua doesn't win the Heisman. You know, I mean, he's literally done almost anything he can to win it. If they would have lost to Georgia, now we have a conversation. I still probably would have won to it, but now we have a real conversation. And it's not an, an indictment on Kyler Murray, but and you can you can always you can also make the case. Well, if Kyler Murray were on Alabama and Tua were on Oklahoma, sure, but that's that's very very hypothetical. I can't. I'm not going to base my Heisman decision based off of this guy was on this team, this guy was on the other, who would be better or who would win. I don't know. But what I do know is with Tua on Alabama and Oklahoma, and Kyler Murray on Oklahoma, 
that's where these guys are. And I would say that Tua would be the guy for me. Egypt. Yeah, sorry. I <laughs> had my mic muted. Um I, I'm be I'm be real with you, Kendall. I, I, I got I got Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's my Heisman. Um I feel like Tua lost it a bit with that last performance. And I know look, Georgia is a beast. Um they can make a lot of people look bad. But he looked and he was banged up too, but he did not look good in that game. And I think we're just going at on performances back and forth each week to week. I think they're pretty much even in terms of production. And I would argue that Murray was doing it under way more stress than Tua. Tua is playing while, yes, uh, the time is shortened because he's not playing a full game. But he's playing under circumstances where he knows the other team's offense is no threat. None of the other teams' offenses can move the ball in Alabama. So you play a lot more free. But, and you can make the case that, you know, Kyler's playing a conference that plays no defense. But I'm telling you, if you play in a conference where you know and your defense is trash and you know they're they giving up 40 points four or five weeks in a row and you're going to need to put up four or five touchdowns to win every game, I mean, that's that's pressure. And Murray did it week in and week out. So uh, to me, he would he would be my Heisman. I think we look at think about the most outstanding player in college football. I'm not looking at just who got the most wins, whose team performed the best. I, I, to me, Murray was the most outstanding player. He was the most spectacular player all season. So I, I think Tua, with that bad performance in the last game, he he dropped the spot for me, and I got I got Kyle Murray as my guy. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it'd be a great story if you wanted. You know, do you, of, do you think that the if he won it, part of it would be the story, like that he's a baseball player? I think that that is part of it. Not for me, but I think I for the voters. That, I do. I, I do wonder if that could play a role, and if the roles were flipped, there'd be no contest. But because um, I mean, I mean that is an amazing story. I mean, we, and also like two as a sophomore, he's gonna win it next year if he's healthy. We'll have plenty of opportunity to win it. Kyler Murray has made it clear this is his last season of playing football. Whether or not I believe him is a whole other conversation, but he's made it clear it's my last season of playing football, certainly in college. This is the last go-around to win the Heisman. That also could subconsciously play a factor, knowing that, well, Tua could win it next year. Kyler Murray will not be back. This is the last shot to win it. If we're going to give it to him, we give it to him now. And also you go off the whole Baker Mayfield I mean, you could argue Kyler Murray had a better year than Baker Mayfield did last year. Yeah. Baker won it. But the competition wasn't the same. I mean, I don't even remember, I don't even remember who finished second last year. It really didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, this year, he's going up against a guy that, along with himself, is putting up the greatest numbers we've seen from a quarterback in college football history. So, um, it's going to be interesting. This is one of the more fascinating Heisman races I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, Dwayne, I think Haskins in any other year would be the Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, yeah, he, I mean his numbers resume. and what he's done is spectacular. I don't think he should be just dismissed, but in this conversation, he's going to be dismissed. 
you know, basically. Yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be um we're gonna be it'll be I'll be fascinated to see who comes away uh with as a, as a winner in New York, but uh let's head back to the NFL where it was another turbulent week for the league as it struggles handling domestic violence accusations reared its ugly head yet again. We can go on forever about the Reuben Foster situation and how he got cut for another domestic violence situation, and then he got picked up by the Redskins and they split. Where he still had a job, and then he got picked up. I was like, really? <laughs> That's I mean, I, we can really? go, we can go on forever about that situation, but with this, Kareem Hunt was uh, released by the Kansas City Chiefs last week, just hours after a video on TMZ surfaced showing him shove and kick a woman. Since the scandal has been le- learned that the NFL's quote investigation, I put that in quotes, uh, did not the league did not speak to Hunt about the incident, did not get the tape of the incident, and were rebuffed by the woman who was assaulted in the incident. Now the Chiefs say numerous people in their organization spoke with Hunt, and that uh, he lied to all of them pretty much. Reed, the position coach, the GM. Uh, four or five different people had conversations with Hunt asking him about what the situation was, and he, he, he misled them in every single one. For his part in the matter, Hunt has since apologized and said he holds no ill will towards the Chiefs and that they were right to let him go. Kendall, what do you make of this entire situation? Yeah, I mean, it's wild, obviously. Um, it seems like, you know, I mean, look, is it surprising I don't mean not. I don't mean it's surprising. Like Kareem Hunt, I was waiting for some shoe to drop. I mean it's surprising in that sense. But it is surprising that in the NFL we we're back to what was to what is very similar to the the Ray Rice situation or you know the Joe Mixon situation or you know the, this is this is worse than Ezekiel because there was no video there. But like if, I mean this isn't this is a recurring theme. You know this is my point and. So it's not surprising in that sense that we're talking, we're having this conversation. You're always kind of just waiting for which which shoe is going to drop. This time it was Kareem Hunt. Um, I I am surprised that he was cut so quickly. I'm not, but you're not. No, the, the video when this video, these guys they can't hide anymore. The NFL team, the NFL, they're not gonna, they can't, they can't hide, and they have no, they're forced, so, they have no choice. So do you think that that means that we won't see Kareem Hunt again? Because then that's got to be the question. Definitely not. Kareem Hunt will have a job before Colin Kaepernick. And we'll talk about him in the next segment. But I agree with that. But for this season, yeah, no, they had to cut him. Didn't matter uh, what their situation was. They got a chance to win a Super Bowl. He's having another great season. He's one of the best young players in the league. Didn't matter. that You got to get rid of a guy when there's – in terms of their thinking, that they, that – there's footage. They, that's it. They all didn't need to see, and um, and, and they had to do what they had to do. Yeah. So I mean, it's just, I mean, like Kareem Hunt. There again, there are a lot of parallels to the Ray Rice situation, but the, obviously the difference is that I think Kareem Hunt's a much better player than at this point in his career than Ray Rice was at that point in his career. So, and he's much younger, so there's a lot more years for. Kareem Hunt to shake this situation off, for lack of a better term. Um, so I I agree. I think Kareem Hunt will be back. Uh, I think by next season he will be back. Um, he'll serve some sort of suspension, whatever that may be. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, clearly the Chiefs acted quickly. Uh, you know, you feel bad for the the franchise. I mean, you don't feel that bad because they've known about this for a while. But you, you mean you feel bad for like the players that I mean, they've played so well and they've had in the fans who I mean they've had such a, an amazing season for this to kind of get included with this kind of drama late in the season is uh, especially this in this fashion is certainly unfortunate. But um, yeah, no, I mean, Kareem Hunt will. He'll I, he'll be back in the league, uh, and whatever team does that, uh, will will be faced with a lot of questions. Um, but this goes back to the same conversation we always have: like, what, why, why? Because there was video of the situation. Did the Chiefs feel so compelled to take action when we knew about this a long time ago? Well, I think you're. And I mean, I you know, there are certain things that you can see on video that you can't see in a report or believe in a report or whatever, however way you want to phrase it. But like now, like, and you could argue it both ways. You could argue it from Kareem Hunt's point of view and from you know the women's point of view of like, really now you guys want to cut him? Or Kareem Hunt's like, oh, now you guys are gonna cut me because you saw the video. It, I mean, either way, the Chiefs look bad because. They feel like this sways their opinion in one way, as if they didn't believe what was reported initially. Well, or they didn't yeah. feel what was reported initially was enough to cut them, or they just felt people didn't care because it wasn't there was video until now. Well, sadly, Ken, though, I think this kind of just goes into the the same category as the plague of domestic violence in our country. In that, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. So you could have a report say something um i'm not i don't actually remember i honestly don't remember like that report coming out that like this happened with him which speaks also volumes that he had a police incident that it was reported and stuff and i don't even remember this thing happening um but like you could see something in the report i don't know how detailed it was i don't because i don't even remember it but like if you go to your home go to homie and say what happened and he says it didn't happen it becomes a your bird versus their bird. And right now, the way society is, though I think we're changing, it's unfortunate. The society thing is, oh, we just, you know, we can't say who's right or who's wrong. And we kind of just, it's like a, you know, it's like a tie. You know, tie goes to the runner. He keeps his job. Like, you know, we can't prove guilty, guilt. So we're just going to presume innocence, which is the court of law. Now, does that mean that should be the court of having the job? Or being, you know, being you know recognized as, as in such, that's a whole nother conversation. But that's how uh, the NFL teams have played it. Now, one thing I thought that was interesting, Kendall, was uh, I watched a bunch of stuff on this situation. Apparently, the NFL teams are under the impression that the Chiefs started some kind of investigation. But that once the NFL got involved, their directive is that the team can no longer really be involved in the investigation that they they're they're kind of eliminated from the process now it's just a league matter um which brings me to the league it's it's a little surprising that we have not heard anyone call for roger goodell to be fired over this i'm a little surprised i'm a little surprised by that but then i think about it and i think of okay well roger goodell could have been fired a dozen times since he's been the commissioner 
why hasn't he been fired? Why hasn't his feet been brought to the fire? Well, the only time he's really faced any adversity was last year during the whole anthem kneeling sitting situation in which some owners did not want to renew his contract well really jerry jones but he tried to bring a cabal of owners to thwart his contract renewal why because the nfl's bottom line was being hurt and it reminded me why goodell was there at the end of the day the nfl and the league owners feel like goodell has done a good enough job in protecting their bottom line with the exception of last season and that was the only time when he faced any kind of adversity in regards to his job. Because anybody who could look at this and say that this was uh, uh, handled competently is badly mistaken. I mean, this was a butcher job. Uh, a place like TMZ can get video of this incident and you're an NFL, a multi-billion dollar corporation, and you can't get video. You conduct a quote-unquote investigation and you don't interview the woman involved, the guy involved, you do almost no police kind of work, investigating kind of work. Like, and the reason why I say I don't know why he's not getting calls for his firing is because that shows this is not the first time where they've had these situations. Like, to me, like, if you're a good commissioner, like, you don't have these situations where videos are coming out months after you've done an investigation that are damning, that are putting a black guy on the league. You should have handled whatever the situation, uh, whatever was pro- appropriate for the situation, but you didn't do that because you didn't do a real investigation. So from that standpoint, if I was a league owner, I'd say, how does this even happen? But he's not going to be in danger because we as fans, we don't care enough about this. It, it we're, The NFL, last season, there is the, there is the, there are a lot of reasons why the NFL, I thought, lost ratings and money. There's, there, it's documented. There are a lot of reasons. But for certain people's agendas, they did point to the anthem stuff, which had a factor. I, I think that there's no question that it was part of the factor, one way or the other. But when it comes to this, there's not going to be any pushback from fans. There's not going to be a, I'm not watching this league, or I'm not going to tune in, or not going to the game because the NFL can't seem to handle domestic violence seriously and that says a lot about us as a society because it, it, you know we could talk about what we think who should be able to stand and kneel for the national anthem and i think that that could be a, a, a engaging spirited and 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 it could be a respectful conversation it hasn't been but in theory it could be there's no gray area with the nfl not looking into uh abuse allegations when they have vowed to look into abuse allegations because how they handled it before this league is a repeat offender with this kind of nonsense and we don't hold them accountable and it's a shame yeah i mean yeah i think people have kind of been desensitized to this this behavior from the nfl Um, i know you're right I don't think we hold them to a standard at this point. We don't. It's crazy. The standard that we hold them to is like, you know, like just, I mean, just like, don't be corrupt. I mean, Kendall, this, this, this this should be a mass, to me, this should be a massive scandal. You did an investigation and it turns out you didn't interview any of the parties involved or you couldn't obtain this tape when you vowed to be more cautious and uh, conscious and 
more uh, serious about domestic violence allegations, you couldn't do any of those three things. You couldn't even pick up the phone and talk to Kareem Hunt, let alone actually see him in person. Like, that speaks to, I'm going to bury my head in the sand and just hope this joint goes away and then we can just get back to playing football. And like I said, if I was a league owner, it, it just in terms of a moral compass and just like showing that I do care about women and domestic violence in this country, I would be like, get this dude the hell out of my league. And I'm talking about Roger Goodell. He's clearly incompetent when it comes to this situation, a very serious, uh, a very serious issue. But the NFL owners don't take this issue seriously because it doesn't hurt their bottom line at the end. But when they, they think that a guy kneeling hurts their bottom line, then a Jerry Jones would say, well, we got to talk about bringing Goodell back. Really? That was their line where you had to talk about bringing the Goodell back? Not Deflategate, not Spygate, not, oh, not Spygate. Uh, what was the other one? Bountygate? Um... Uh, um, not the lockout, the not not all that other stuff. This was the the referee strike. The Goodell was all good until the bottom line was affected. You think by some people protesting, and yet we have a second scandal with domestic violence. And I've heard no one even mention this dude. It's a disgrace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I feel like I I feel like the the league again is at a point where like if this were the NBA like I, the the conversation would be a lot it'd be a lot more uh, like uh, it'd be stronger like we'd be talking about it a lot more it'd be a lot more prevalent but I don't think I think we've been kind of tired of conversations like this in the nfl and that's how they get you though that's how like if they they could just it's like just running out the clock it's like just keep doing it yeah yeah, it's okay we'll weather this storm again and eventually they just will be tired of talking about this that's kind i feel like that's kind of what's happening because i I, you know yeah by the time we get to i mean what's i mean today's wednesday by the time we get to thursday there'll be a game and by the time we get to sunday we'll have moved on it's crazy. You know, like, Kareem this? Hunt was cut. He, he's out of the he's out of the news. You know, like there you know there are times when like the teams when teams hold on to guys that's when like it stays they, they, their status is still in limbo. But when they cut a guy like that that quickly, that's just so that they can get I, out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, absolutely. there's no doubt the league pressured them to to cut him. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 no I, I think he was placed. I can't remember if he was placed on the exempt list before or after he was cut, but I mean, the joint was like. I believe almost, he was. Yeah, either he was or. It was like simultaneous made, almost. It was made clear like he's going to be <laughs> yeah. very soon. Do not pick him up, Washington Redskins. He will not be allowed to play. Um, yeah, that. I mean, I don't know. I just, you know, I get I get disappointed in in seeing the NFL in the hypocrisy that they that they that they spew consistently and it, it showing up this week with this and the league being perfectly fine with Goodell's performance in this disaster of a situation as far as I'm concerned. It's just a shame. Um but let's <laughs> speaking of uh more uh debacles in the NFL, another day, another team in desperate need of a quarterback is passing on Colin Kaepernick. The Washington Redskins said they discussed the possibility of bringing in Ka- the former 49ers quarterback 
in after Colt McCoy broke his ankle on Monday Night Football. But despite Mark Sanchez being the only QB on the roster before today when they signed Josh Johnson, uh, the Redskins elected not to sign Kaepernick. Head coach Jay Gruden spoke about Cap's skill set not matching with the team's offense or Sanchez's skill set. Kendall, simple question. Will Cap ever play in the league again? Uh, will Cap ever play in the league again? I see reason to believe why he won't. I mean, you would think, you know, after a team's lost, like, eight quarterbacks. I mean, you think of all the circumstances, of all the circumstances, and forget about the owner and the team name, but over all the circumstances and the city. That's what I was thinking about. Would Kaepernick sign with the Redskins, or would he be like, I can't, uh, I can't play for them? But... That's Regardless, a, I didn't even think about that. That's an interesting question. <laughs> or like, I won't play for him until they change the name. That would be uh, in character. That would be that would be a plot twist. <laughs> yeah, it would be. <laughs> yeah, I think it would earn him more brownie points. But uh, no, yeah, I think uh, I I do. I think Kaepernick will play again. I do think he will. Um, I think at some point, some team is going to realize that, just like Nike realized, it is. In their favor, like from a financial standpoint and from a, a marketing standpoint, to have him on the roster, I don't know what team it'll be. I don't know what owner will be ambitious enough and innovative enough to do it. But someone's gonna crunch the numbers and realize that it's it it's good for it's best for business to take a chance on Colin Kaepernick. Doesn't mean he'll play. Doesn't mean some team's gonna make him the franchise quarterback. But at some point, somebody will give him a shot because there's too many people asking for it. And at some point, the other side won't care as much. Maybe I'm being naive, but I feel like at some point, people will be like, whatever. It's crazy to me that my instinct right now tells me no. But because of, like, the the more he's out of football, the more I feel like there's an excuse not to bring him in. Because it's like, he's rusty, he hasn't played. Last time we saw him, he wasn't that great. So, what's the big deal? But then I think about... Michael Vick, who actually did years in a federal penitentiary and or a year and a half, whatever many spent time he spent. And he was picked up. <laughs> uh and, and and looked great when he actually got on the field and played full time as a starter. So it looked better than he did in Atlanta. Right. That's almost kind of the weird thing about this, is that the people who are against Cap or even the teams who maybe legitimately think that he doesn't have it anymore. They're coming to that automatic conclusion, not even remembering what happened with Michael Vick. Because Michael Vick, before he went to jail, the situation in Atlanta was already on the downside. He was not playing well there. There were some people that wanted Matt Schaub. And that's a throwback yeah. for people who really remember that situation. Um, and he came out, and people thought maybe he's played wide receiver. What kind of quarterback is he going to be? And, you know, he got picked up because it's dogfighting and. You know, that's fine. <laughs> um, but, like, he, when he got on the field, like, I think those years, you know, uh, look, I'm not saying being in a federal prison is good, but I think those years of not taking hits and stuff did him wonders. And I think he, of course, had mature. he grew, he matured, and he learned this, the mental side of the game that he needed to match with the physical side. And he had one season where it was, like, a perfect storm. But, like, I think it is interesting that, like, 
I think a lot of people are just counting out the fact that Kaepernick can't, I'm not saying be like Vic, but like come back and say, wow, he's actually pretty good. Like he could play. Like we kind of like underestimate like not being hit in the head for two seasons, like what that maybe could do for somebody, you know? And so, yeah. so to, so to answer the question, will he ever play in the league again? My, I mean, my instinct tells me no, because of like the idea that as long as he's not playing, I think they're going to have that excuse. Of, oh, he hasn't played two years, so we don't need him. And I would say, Maybe that's actually the time to look at him because maybe that means he's fresh. Maybe, like I said, we saw what happened with Michael Vick and how that those years off absolutely did him good. There's no denying that. So, uh, but yeah, this was ridiculous. I mean, the, for Jay Gruden to talk about Kendall, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, you know, Jay Gruden of course saying that Captain didn't match the skill set in the playbook that they have. This dude on Twitter, I got, I got to shout him out. I can't, I can't forget, I can't remember what his name was, but this dude literally showed plays that Jay Gruden has run this season that he's taken from the stuff Jim Harbaugh was running with the 49ers verbatim like literally said here's a copy and paste job of plays that Jay Gruden has run with the Redskins that Kaepernick ran just the exact same play there was two plays where it's the exact same concept the exact same motion it's the exact same situation you know Gruden talked about how they're they're running pro style I mean these some of these plays that we they showed uh were you know basic uh you know spread type offensive things and for Gruden to say that kind of thing which is ridiculous to me because it's like you think we're stupid people are gonna now people can watch the film and see well how does he fit scheme wise and then they see oh they run they're running RPO stuff that's exactly what they're doing in San Francisco they're running the exact same plays. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, but like at the end of the day, there's not gonna, there's not enough. There's an outcry, but it's not enough for someone to finally break the mold. So I think, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I, right now I would lean towards that he doesn't play in the league again. And I think, honestly, I think Cat would be at peace with that if that was the case. I, I think he feels like he has a bigger mission at this point, but. It's not right, and I think that we need to keep saying that it's not right. I think it's not good for us to just forget about it and move on, never talk about it again. These kind of instances need to keep being brought up. Can they? Brought, Jason Lockenfora also talked about today how you know before they signed Josh Johnson, uh, they also brought in Ryan Mallett. Kendall, we talk about you know they always say, oh, you want your quarterback, your back quarterback to be low high, low maintenance, you know, seen and not heard, uh, not a not a uh, you know, not a problem child. Ryan Mallett, Kendall, was literally thrown off the team with the Texans. He couldn't make the team flight, and they threw him off the team. Ryan Lockerford talked about how he was so bad in Baltimore that at times he derailed practice because he was so unprepared. This is a guy who's had massive off-the-field situations and issues with him. And they brought him in for a workout, didn't even want to bring in someone like Colin Kaepernick. That just says a lot to me. And then you see the dudes that are getting jobs that he's not getting. I saw Jalen Rose say it, and I agree. I, I, he's gonna win that collusion case. It, the evidence is too. The evidence is too obvious. The, the joint had to be fixed for him not to win. This this example, right? Ryan Mallett, who as was as big a problem child for a backup quarterback as anyone over the last decade, is getting workouts for Colin Kaepernick, and Ryan Mallett can't play. We actually seen him play, Kaepernick. What's the Super Bowl? So I don't know. I just think it, it speaks to just how how crazy 
uh, the situation has gotten. But um, we got to get sneaky in one basketball story, Kendall, before we do our Who's Flames, Who's Trash segment. I thought this was an interesting story. Shout out to Rick Bucher. He did a great piece for uh, Bleacher Report, shedding light on LeBron's situation in Los Angeles. Bucher spoke to several NBA players who say the pressure and circumstances that go with playing alongside someone like James will force some star players to shy away from wanting to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers. Kevin Durant, who was actually Bucher's kind of main source and main quote for a lot of this article, described the culture around LeBron as, quote, toxic. Uh, because of the media attention and that young stars coming into their own might not uh, be willing to defer to James while also having to deal with the circus around him. And circus being the media attention. The Rand had an interesting quote. He, he went as far to say that some of these reporters that follow LeBron around are fanboys, which goes back to Durant saying in character with his key, heel persona. I wonder who he's talking about, EJ. I, I can think of a couple people. I'm not gonna say any names. I can think of a couple of people. Yeah, uh, no, we only say. Uh, I got some names, but um, but Durant also spoke about the need for other stars to drastically change their games in order to coexist with uh, LeBron on the court. Talking about how people saw what Love and Bosch had to do, and maybe that's not something they really want to do. Um, one scout also said that some stars may be wary of quote adding to James's legacy as opposed to building one of their own. Um, Rudy Gay spoke about, you know, a lot of these young guys coming up, uh, like a Jason Tatum or Vic Oladipo, who, who battled LeBron in the postseason, took him to seven games. These guys feel like those experiences have, uh, have motivated them to feel like maybe they could be the next LeBron or even better than LeBron. Uh, you know, Kyle Lowry spoke about the territory of being, you know, in a supporting cast where you're going to get a lot of the blame when things don't go well. So, it was a pretty interesting uh, article. You know, Kawhi Leonard mentioned that, you know, for him, someone like LeBron James is, he doesn't look at with the same measuring stick because he played LeBron in the finals and they won. So he's like, so what do I have to prove with with someone like LeBron James? So it, it just was a very interesting take because I think the assumption that when LeBron went to LA was that there was going to be this flood of stars that would eventually show up. And this article is really the first, you know, flushed out, you know, think piece suggesting that may, that might be the case. Kendall, do you think LeBron will have trouble learning stars to the Lakers? Um, no, I don't. You know, I feel like that that that's a conversation that could have been had, you know, two, three years ago. Uh... I mean, we forget, obviously, that with the Cavs, I mean, Kevin Love was traded for, and Kyrie Irving was already on the team. So it's not as if he recruited anybody to go to Cleveland. Um, he had to recruit Kevin Love to stay, but uh, didn't recruit anybody to to join him in Cleveland, essentially. And so the conversation of would guys want to play with LeBron at this point, I think when you talk about L.A., it's a different circumstance. One, because... Like, to go to Cleveland to play with LeBron, you're going there only to play with LeBron. There's nothing in Cleveland uh, that's attractive besides playing with LeBron James and playing Kyrie Irving. Um, nothing beyond that. Whereas you go to L.A., there are a lot of other factors about Los Angeles that are enticing outside of the opportunity to play with LeBron and compete for a championship. The weather, uh, for some guys, they're from the state of California. Um 
Western Conference, Hollywood, marketing opportunities. You know, it's a major market. There are a lot of reasons to go to L.A. The other reason why, the other factor as to why this is different is that LeBron is at the tail end of his career at this point. And if we're talking about, like, star players, like, guys that could be the number one or two on a championship team, these guys aren't going to be scared of LeBron or aren't going to be scared off by LeBron knowing that he doesn't have any more than, he doesn't have more than two or three years left at most as, like, a superstar, you would think. So, like, if I'm Kawhi Leonard, am I really going to be scared that if I go to Lakers, like, my game's going to be stifled by LeBron when he's, like, 33, 35 years old? I mean, I don't I mean, know. This article, I mean, this article is saying yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a strange mindset uh, to have. Um, also, it, if you're asking me what I think will happen, I'm still convinced that Durant will be a Laker. So, so what? So that that brings me to my second question. Then, what do you think is his? Why would you think he agreed to answer these questions about playing with LeBron James? If that's where you think he's going, and I would assume that makes you think that you think that he knows that now, or is he thinking about that right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what, I, don't know, I mean, we never know. We have this conversation every week. I don't know where Durant's head's really at, but <laughs> um, he just seems like a guy that wants to play with LeBron. I, I, I It makes you wonder if maybe he's, like, like, priming himself up for the challenge. You know, like, he knows it's it's tough but that's something he wants to do. Either that or... Because there are some people out there that feel like Durant's going to the Clippers or Durant's going to the Knicks. And maybe those people are right. Maybe he doesn't want to go to LeBron and these, these are the telltale signs, but I'm not of that mindset. And so, I don't know. It's I mean, it's an interesting... It's an interesting conversation, but ultimately, the Lakers won't strike out. I'd be shocked if they did. And... I think it ends with them getting Kevin Durant. I think these are all smoke screens. I think this is gonna. I think this is gonna end up being kind of a moot point because I think that whoever the Lakers get is a very good chance it will be via trade. Uh, I don't. I don't think Durant's going there. I, I just don't think he's going there. I, I that would that would surprise me. I, I just. I don't know. I just feel like. That would just be crazy if he did that move. I mean, but Durant has shown that he's not—he's prone to like you know, letting his like anger with like the perception of him take over in the situations. And could he make an emotional decision? Say, you know what? Like LeBron is my friend. I'm tired of people just talking about like, oh, I just went to a great team. So, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna like just mess with all y'all and just sign with LeBron. Like. He could do it. He's that petty and that vindictive, but uh, that would be petty and vindictive even for him. And I do think that he does care about being the greatest. He doesn't talk about it as much as we we would expect. But if he had that whole article about he's tired of being second place, 
I, I just can't imagine he would then agree to be second place to LeBron. I, I just can't see him doing that, standing next to him like that. Now, could uh, could he sign with the Knicks or some other team? I could see other Clippers. I could certainly see that happening. But we'll see. We'll have to wait until the summer for that. In regards to, yeah, but in terms of LeBron and his situation, I, yeah, I think that because of the assets that the Lakers have, I think eventually they're going to be forced to make a trade you know, for an Anthony Davis, something like that, that that will end up being that that big star that plays next to LeBron. To me, that's how this all ends up shaking out. So I don't know if he'll ever really have to lure another star. I think that another star will be traded there, and he'll be fine being traded there because it's the Lakers and it's Los Angeles, and he'll get a max contract or he already has one, and LeBron's there. So whatever, like they're not gonna say no, don't trade me there, like, but. Will he ever have to really, like, get a guy who's a free agent with other teams going after him? Will he get someone, like, as a superstar to re- sign with him? I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know if he'll I don't know if he'll ever come to that, I guess is my point. But I do think that these people, I think that this article has some weight. But it only takes one. That's the thing. Like, the guys that we've had so far, Kevin, you know, uh, George, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, um, the recent guys, these guys, yes, they didn't. They have seen no, they had no interest in playing with LeBron, with the Lakers, but it only takes one of these stars to make that decision, and then LeBron has lured a star to Los Angeles, and then this question and this article is moved. So, uh, but I, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see what happened. I did, I did think the rant's inclusion, heavy inclusion in this article was just very strange to see the arguably the second best player. Talking about why the best player can't get any players on his team, uh, I, 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 I that's to me, it's got to be unprecedented, uncharted waters. I've never heard of that kind of thing happening, or a player even talking about some other guy's ability not to get players on his team. And I think the rant has definitely become more into the mind game kind of thing. So I couldn't help but I mean, wonder. When was the last time a great player signed up to play with Kevin Durant? It's never happened. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins? I mean, I guess that's about it. But will you argue he went to play with Kevin Durant or did he go to play with the Warriors? I don't think. Yeah. And, like, that was literally because they were one of, like, the five teams that wanted him. Yeah. Yeah. Only, yeah, only like, two teams <laughs> offered him a contract. So that <laughs> made it a lot easier. So. I mean, his circumstance is very, not much different than LeBron's career. Yeah. Nobody was looking at Oklahoma City when he was there. It was, him and and, I was like, yo, we got to hop one of the OKC bandwagon. Yeah, and, it was, and Westbrook was there, too, and they still didn't want anything to do with them. No one even thought yeah. about that. So, I, I, so, I mean, Durant, he could talk all he wants about the toxic LeBron environment. But, I mean, it also he's had plenty of opportunities. I also couldn't help but wonder, and I don't know when these quotes... The fact that this stuff came out today suggests that I, I would be surprised if these quotes from Durant were before were, like, were yesterday. Like, I'd be surprised if that he... Like, Beaker got him yesterday, got all these quotes. But you never know. Because it was a pretty flushed out article, had a lot of sources. But Kobe talking about, you know, you know, well, Lakers going to win championships soon, and then all these Warrior fans are going to are gonna look stupid. Like, I just thought it was odd that Kobe makes that statement the next day Durant comes out with all these comments about how LeBron can't get any stars. I, it, I could be reading into that. It could just be coincidence, literally. Like, just knowing someone who, like, no, as someone who knows how like articles get put together, but that just seems very odd that those things happened pretty much 
one day, next day, Durant comes out and says, oh, LeBron, no one wants to play with him. No one wants to be under his shadow. No one wants to deal with the circus around him. And he's going to have a tough time. That's just weird. So uh, it's something to think about, I think, when we, we talk about this LeBron uh, conversation and his ability to get free agents. All right, Kendall, we're nearing the end of the show. So we got to do who's flames, who's trash. You want to go first or should I go first? Uh, I can go. Okay. Yeah, for uh, for Flame DJ this week, I got uh, the USC Trojans. Now they retained Clay Helton <laughs> as their head coach, which very easily could have gotten them on the trash segment because that <laughs> was probably the worst move of the entire 2018 college football coaching carousel. Uh, but they saved their uh, behinds this week by hiring Texas former Texas Tech coach Cliff. Kingsbury as their offensive coordinator, a move that I think could end up help, helping to save Clay Helton's standard at USC uh, in Los Angeles. Um, I think Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is one of the better offensive minds in all of football. Uh, there are rumors that the Rams were looking at him as their OC, uh, but that felt or bringing him onto the staff in some capacity. Um, but I mean, this could end being a home run hire for. USC and could end up saving JT Jan, not only Clay Helton's job but JT Daniels' career because he had a rough freshman season at USC. But now being able to work work with uh, Kingsbury could end up doing wonders for the young quarterback. Um, but what's trash this week, EJ? The Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Green Bay Packers fired head coach Mark, Mike McCarthy after what over a decade as the head coach. Um, he was one of the longer tenured head coaches in the league. I think maybe behind only Belichick. Uh, he was the longest tenured head coach in the league, and, and Mar- Marvin Lewis. But uh, he was relieved of his duties after this week's loss to Arizona. Um, that loss was I dreadful. I care by less. The way. Yeah, it was dreadful. Yeah, it, I watched the end of that game. It was there. pathetic. Yeah, I mean, I could care less about Mike McCarthy. I mean, he's not flames or trash that he lost his job. He's been there for a long time. You know, he's, he's seen the business. He knows how it works. But uh, what's trash, EJ, and why the Packers are trash is not only was Mike McCarthy fired this week, but today, and again, we're recording this on a Wednesday, they made the decision to fire um, their associate head coach, Winston Moss. Now, Winston Moss, EJ, uh, again, wasn't fired after the the game, the loss to the Cardinals. Right. But he was fired after he made what I guess the Packers felt was a a uh, detrimental tweet to the organization. His tweet, EJ, uh, it read, "Ponder this: What championship teams have? What championship teams have are great leadership." Period. It's not the offensive guru trend. It's not the safe trend. Find somebody that's going to hold number 12 and everybody in this building to a hashtag Lombardi standard. Period. Hashtag losing sucks. Hours after that tweet, EJ, Winston Moss was fired. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers uh, probably uh, had a conversation with somebody and that dude was gone (laughs) very quickly. What did did my homie Winston Moss do to, to lose his job? 
when I heard he said some crazy stuff, he, he tweeted some stuff about Aaron Rodgers. I thought he was going to be like, you know, how y'all going to fire McCarthy and not let go of the quarterback or something like that. All he said was, we need to hold some guy that's going to hold. We're gonna, we need to hire somebody that's going to hold our quarterback to a high standard. Jeez. I don't, that, I don't know. That seems, it seems excessive. <laughs> I don't know. I, reading his tweets is funny. He's see him say this, and hours later, be like, "The fact that informed me that they are letting me go." It's like, oh, I didn't even know he tweeted that. Yeah, he tweeted that. He was like, "The fact that I, 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 that they are letting me go." Thanks, Twitter. And then that was it. <laughs> this last we heard it from him. Um, yeah, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers had conversations with somebody and be like, "Fam, we can't let this happen." Uh, so Moss. It was a fall guy. This this thing's a mess. Uh, and we got to start looking at um, the CEO, Murphy, in regards to Mark Murphy, yeah. how this is all went down. Um, Thompson left, and the, the deterioration of the roster since Mark Murphy decided that he was going to really be, like, basically the general manager. I know they have uh, a general manager now, uh, uh, Goodenkust, but this this thing is a mess. I mean, like, the associate coach is subtweeting Aaron Rodgers. Like, this is not stuff I'd ever see from the Green Bay Packers. This is not stuff I'd see from the Jets or the Browns or one of these, like, the Raiders, you know, one of these more, like, loose cannon-type teams. And I, like, I know you're saying that Cowboys. this thing was kind of benign, the Cowboys. I know this – it it wasn't benign. I don't know. I I think that had he just said we gotta hold everybody accountable, maybe I wouldn't have an issue. But putting we, number twelve, you put number twelve. It's like, all right, well, you're singling out one person at least, and you're singling out the guy that you probably can never talk bad about. So, which maybe is his point. But at the same time, I don't think that means that you gotta keep your job. So, yeah, the 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 cap, the and also Phil is a control freak. We already know that about him. So, yeah. whenever a new coach comes in, they're always they're waiting for an excuse to fire, or cut anybody. That's just like their mo in any sport. Like your new coach, you gotta like make your statement and like show that you're the guy in charge. So, like Winston Moss just gave Philbin like his chance there. Like I almost makes one of those fixed. <laughs> so Philbin had something that he could stand on. Uh, so now he can say I'm the new sheriff in charge because uh, Philbin we saw on Hard Knocks and stuff. He 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 he's a hard dude. He likes to let everyone know he's the dude in charge. So Winston Moss, who I'm sure was probably, uh, you know, a McCarthy disciple, was not, you know, a Philbin loyalist. He probably felt very pleased to get rid of this dude and kind of make a statement immediately. Uh, who's flames this weekend, though? Oh, it's USC. Oh, yeah, you had, you had USC. My bad. It's my turn. <laughs> um, so, for, for I'll, I'll start with flames this week. Uh, I'm going to go with the baseball hot stove, man. I'm going to go with the baseball hot stove. Uh, if, if you've been paying attention to baseball, my Mets made a blockbuster move to get Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano to Queens. There's a, you know, if you follow Mets Twitter, Mets social media, there's a lot of controversy around this trade, but it's not, it's good for conversation. I, I personally, I, I don't know how you feel, Cano. I'm, I'm okay with the deal. Uh, I don't love ever giving up my number two and three prospects in my system. One for, and one of the guys I'm getting back is 36 years old. But at a certain point, as Mets fans, we can't, keep complaining about this team's not doing anything to try to get better. And then when they make a, a risky move, there's no question it's a risky move, but it is a risk. Uh, and then say, oh, they shouldn't be doing anything. They should be holding their prospects in place. Say, well, do you want to rebuild or do you want to try to win? Because the Mets for the last three years have been doing these half measures. And 
Right. One year, the half measures, you did get them to the World Series because the pitching was so good. But since then, we've seen what happens when you do half measures. And you end up in this no man's land where you're not really competing. And maybe you'll sneak into the playoffs, but you're not a contender to win a championship. So I'm excited to see what those guys can do. And then we had the breaking news today, Kendall. Again, we recorded the show on a Wednesday. Paul Goldschmidt headed to the Cardinals. He's being traded. Um, and that kind of makes that central race interesting because the Cardinals are the third team in that race with the you know, Brewers had that amazing season. Of course, the Cubs are going to be dangerous. The Cardinals are kind of starting to fade into, uh, into uh, you know, irrelevance. But you had someone like Goldschmidt in that lineup. That makes them a little bit more of a factor. And, of course, Corbin scoring the Yankees to sign the Nationals, which kind of now really creates a big sweepstakes for Harper because now we know he ain't going back to Washington. They ain't sending $400 million in one offseason. So, <laughs> so, uh, so this baseball hot stove, man. It's, it's hot. I, I, you know, it's flames. It's the right, right, this is the right segment to put the hot stove in now. I, I like what I'm seeing so far. We got more to come. Still got Harper. Still got Machado. And we know there's going to be more trades. So I like what I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm still on pins and needles. See where Harper goes. Uh, hoping the Giants are active. And we don't know what's gonna happen with Madison Bungard. That's, yeah, I mean we have a new GM now in San Francisco, Farhan Zadid from uh, from LA, who's a disciple of Bill Bean, comes from the uh, Moneyball background. There's a lot of conversation that he feels it may be better for the Giants to move on from Madison Bumgarner. And now we're hearing that the Phillies and Brewers are very interested in Bumgarner. So there could be a lot of big names on the move this offseason. Um, I, again, I'm most interested to see where Bryce Harper goes. And Corey Kluber, Corey Kluber, and Mets called the calls about Corey Kluber. I mean, this, this could, I think this offseason can end up being pretty crazy. I think we're only seeing the beginning. It's, it's early December, and we're already seeing massive moves. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to be fun to watch. And then uh, Trash this week, Kendall, I got Hassan Whiteside. Um, <laughs> Hassan Whiteside always finds himself in these kind of ridiculous situations. But this week, uh, after being benched in the fourth quarter and uh, eventual loss to the Orlando Magic, Hassan Whiteside decided he had enough and uh, just got up from the bench and just went to the locker room. <laughs> there was like a minute left in the game. And uh, and, and he, was, he was frustrated, I suppose, that he was not getting playing time in the fourth quarter. So he left. Now he has come out and said, oh, it had nothing to do with, you know, my anger not playing. I, I, I It was a restroom break. Dwayne Wade said that he had to use the restroom. I, I don't know. They must think we're stupid. I, who is buying that? You leave with 40 seconds left in the game to use the restroom. You couldn't wait 40 seconds. I mean, and it wasn't like he was in the – my thing is, if you got – this 40 seconds to go in the game, you're saying, I got to go in the locker room and not come back out because I have to use the restroom. You got to be sprinting in the locker room. This dude took a slow scroll, uh, a slow stroll right in front of Eric Spolcher, right in front of the heat bench, and slowly walked to the back of the locker room. That dude, I mean, you know, Spolcher said it's unacceptable and it's going to be handled internally, but I, I don't know. I feel like he's one of those dudes that I think we're always going to kind of wonder, will, what would have happened if he ever would have really got it? You know, the, the, we've seen the potential. We've seen the shot blocking. There's no question the guy as an all-star talent, and he shows it from night to night, to night every now and then. But it's stuff like this that he's going to continue to get himself in that why you can't really ever rely on him to be a, a, a real star player. So for that, sorry, man. Hassan Whiteside, talented player, but you were trash this week, fam. Any thoughts on Whiteside, Kendall? 
Yeah, I mean, it's on Whiteside. This is it, it's tough because like I feel like we go through this cycle every two months with Whiteside. I know. You know, something crazy. He could be he could be the track segment like, every month. He's doing something every month where he could be in the segment. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and then you know, the Heat will be like he's on the trade block. We're actively trying to find a team for us on Whiteside, and then like. Next week he's gonna get eight blocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's gonna be like, why isn't he in the All Star game? Right. You know? So, it, it, this is the normal cycle with Hassan Whiteside. I don't know if it'll ever change. Um, at this point, I, I thought, and I guess I'm the fool, but I thought like last time we went through this that we were at the end. You know, like he was playing great. I forget when. Again, it's a cycle. It's every like. Every like three months, he goes on a stretch where he looks amazing. And the last time he was on that stretch, I was like, I think we finally hit a point where Sean Whiteside matured, where like he may not ever be like a superstar, but he's going to consistently be a top flight, top eight center in the league. And again, we're back to this nonsense. So yeah, he's kind. Of, it's kind of it's one of those deals where we are where we are with uh, with Hassan Whiteside. Um, you just gotta take the good with the bad at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's still having a good year and put up decent numbers, but I think the fact that he's kind of plateaued as a player also kind of speaks to this kind of nonsense. Uh, okay, let's get let's do quick picks real quick before we get out of here. So, uh, Ravens at Chiefs. Uh, Lamar Jackson is undefeated, but he's got a bigger, bigger task in trying to keep up with the Chiefs' offense. That they do, that of course they don't have Kareem Hunt, but there's still a big problem. Uh, and, and, and taking that uh, that show on the road in Kansas City is not the same as playing the sorry uh, Falcons and, and whoever they played the week before. So, Ravens, Chiefs, Kendall, who you got? Uh, I think the Chiefs rally around this uh, this uh, Kareem Hunt situation. I don't think this will be an easy game. I think the, the Ravens defense is really good. They're the best in the league. Yeah. You know, I think the Ravens will have something for the Chiefs, but I think the Chiefs win in a, in a tight one by uh, a touchdown. I'm gonna pick the Ravens. I'm gonna pick the Ravens. Well, I, I think that I think that the Ravens gotta have it, and they know they're kind of just in that every week is a playoff game kind of mode. They're they're riding high. I think they believe in Lamar, and I'm picking them because I think the Ravens defense they have the recipe to kind of win a game like this with the Chiefs coming off this kind of weird situation with Hunt. Um, the Ravens can run the football. They play good defense. You only need a couple of bad plays to the Chiefs, a turnover here. We've seen Mahomes sometimes get loose with the ball, uh, you know, and and maybe a, a ball possession kind of game. And next thing you know, you're up, you know, 16, 13, 16, you know, 17, 16 in the fourth quarter, and maybe you need one stop to get off the field to win. I think that this is a this could be a massive upset, and I think the Baltimore Ravens smell blood too because the the Steelers, who look like they had a stranglehold of this division, you lost two in a row now. They're they're tied in the win column, and this is a now a sprint to the division. The Ravens can still get the division, so this is a huge game. I think that they have the uh, the motivation. The Chiefs right now, uh, while they're also in a tough race with the Chargers, I, I don't know if they feel the same urgency the Ravens will have this week. I'm going to ride that Ravens defense, and I'm going to say that they uh, they pull off a big upset this week. Rams at Bears. Uh, Rams, of course, still uh, riding high as they they have. They, they won the division uh, this week. They clinched it. Meanwhile, the uh, 
the Bears had one of the weirdest games I saw all weekend against the Giants where they looked like they were dead in the water. They scored late, and then Odell Beckham didn't want to pick up an onside kick and then complained about people saying he doesn't play hard. <laughs> uh, that's another story for another show. But um, they took the in overtime, then lost in overtime. This is a weird, fun matchup, though. So I'm fascinated to see what happens. Kendall Trubisky did not play last week. He's been banged up. Who do you think uh, wins this one in uh, in Chicago right now? Trubisky is questionable. Oh, yeah, a lot of it's going to come down to uh, the health of Mr. Trubisky. Um, it didn't really matter last week for uh, for Chicago, but playing Detroit, regardless of whether or not it's in Detroit or not, playing Detroit is a lot different of a deal than playing uh, L.A. Um, and I think we're going to see that. Uh I got the Rams. Well, Chicago played. Uh, Chicago played the Giants. Played Giants last week. Two weeks ago, yeah. played Detroit. Right. But, um, yeah, I've got the Rams big in this one. Uh, the Giants. The Giants game, I think, was kind of a sign that like they really do need Mitch Trubisky. But, uh, you know, I think the Rams. Aaron Donald, I think, is on a mission to get that sack record. That dude is a beast. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I wish I could say I, I thought he'd be this good coming out of pit, but there's no way I could. He's he's unbelievable. Good. He's unblockable. I mean, yeah, but yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised seeing wreck havoc this week. This is a fascinating game. I do think Trubisky's health does ride a lot on this game, but I I, I think it's kind of similar to the Chiefs game, honestly. Except this time, uh, the Rams are going on the road. Cold weather, tough defense. Um, I don't think it's going to be as pretty as these games that the Rams have been winning recently. But uh, but I'm going to go with the Rams. The Bears' offense is like hit or miss, and they they you know I think when we look back at the season, say you know what you know stopped the Bears from maybe you know going further, they need to find another. Really, not another. They need to find a receiver. I would argue. Um, Adam Robinson is pretty good, but at this stage of his career, I don't know if he's a number. He's definitely not a number one. He's probably a, a decent number two, but that that's that's probably it at this point. They need to find a, a real big time game breaker. Right now, Tariq Cohen leads them in receiving, and I don't. I just don't think that a running back, a team that has a running back leading in receiving, is going to beat the Rams. I don't care how cold it is. I don't care what your defense is. I, the Rams put up too many points. They put too much pressure on you. You're going to need to find ways to make explosive plays. And outside of Cohen, they don't have anyone that can do that. So until they find that guy, I think it's going to be tough sledding for the Bears. I think they win it. I think they fight. I think it's a close game, regardless of whether it's Trubisky or Daniel. But I'm going to say that it's, uh, it's the Rams who pull this one out. And last one, Kendall, we'll do the, um, the, the, the Vikings heading to Seattle to play the Hawks. Kendall, the Seahawks, their team I think we should be paying attention to. Uh they ran all over the 49ers. They have a, a very potent running game. The Vikings have had a very weird season. Um, they've been just really up and down. Uh, it, they win, lose, win, lose. You really don't know what to make of them. And like you said, I agree. They're in a position where they, they can't afford to start losing really any more games uh, that are toss-ups like this. 
And this is a, a big game, playoff implications. Of course, you're a big Vikings fan. So who you got here? Oh, man. I wish I could say I was confident. Um, it's tough because I feel like we looked really good uh, against Green Bay. Um, but now everyone's looking good against Green Bay. Against England. What? But now everyone's looking good against Green Bay. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> But, and I don't think we looked that bad against New England, but again, like you said, it's kind of, that's a difference between facing a good team and a not-so-good team, you know? And then, is Seattle a good team? I would say Seattle is a lot better than Green Bay. Um, I think Minnesota, I, I feel like I've gotten, we've gotten to the point where I think Minnesota kind of is what they are. They are what they are. Like, I don't know if they have Super Bowl upside. I haven't seen it. Every time we face an elite team, we've lost. Yeah, and we've handled our business for the most part against teams we're supposed to beat. But anytime we're faced against a team where it's like, "Wow, this is a contender," we lose. Saints, and Bears, Saints, Saints, Bears, Patriots are your three last three losses. And those are teams that you look at as there possible contenders, especially the Saints and the Patriots. Rams, another one we lost. Was yep. that with the Rams, the one before that. Uh, yeah. After you went before you went in three game win streak, lost to the Rams. There you go. I mean, our last four losses. That's what I'm saying. Where I'm like, I haven't felt bad about like, any of these losses. It's just like I'm still waiting for that win. Where I'm yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> you know, we beat a team that we're supposed, we're not really supposed to beat. So that's where I'm like, and this is really this game against Seattle is kind of that cuff where it's like, I mean, we should beat Seattle, and if we do, it doesn't mean we're a contender. But it's also a very losable game. I'm gonna say we win this game, but uh, it's a must win. I, I'm going to disagree. I don't think that the – I think the Seahawks are better than the Vikings. Uh, I know the Vikings, right. based on track record, what they've done recently, the team they have, the names they have, suggest maybe that they should be the better team. But I think the Seahawks, over the course of the season, have played better football. And the last three weeks, they've looked very good. I know they also beat the Packers, so what does that mean? They beat the Panthers on the road, oh, so what does that mean? And then they pounded the – for Niners, but I think that there is something to them on the upswing. The week for though this three this three game loss streak, uh, the last the two games they played were at the Rams. They only lost by five, and at home against the Chargers. And those are elite. Those are the elite of the elite. Those are two of the top four or five teams in the league, and they played competitive football games against those teams. And then they won two games for that. So I think the the Seahawks have been playing good football for a really long time. They had some tough luck losses. You know, you got two close losses to the Rams. I mean, you're you're you'll feel fine with that. Like you know, they're a tough team to beat. Obviously, you lose to the Chargers. They are a great team. So, I, I, I the the Seahawks, man. I kind of like how they play because they they're, they're kind of in this like throw it throw it a million times league. They're one of the few teams who are still kind of old school. Chris Carson's had a great season. Um, they got Mike Davis running the rock. Rashad Penny is really starting to play well. Uh, their rookie first round pick from San Diego State. So they got a great running game to combine with what Russell Wilson does running the football. And of course, we know what he can do throwing it. Um, the defense is still strong with Bobby Wagner in the middle. Uh, the, the Seahawks are a team to look at. I'm telling you, because the way this conference is shaping up, we, we talked about the Vikings struggling. We know that the Panthers right now are in a complete tailspin. You start to see who's coming out of the NFC, who can challenge the NFC except for the Rams. I, I don't know who the next team is. <laughs> and so I'm not going to, besides the Saints, I don't I don't know who that next team is. 
So, if looking at teams who could be dangerous in the playoffs, I think Seattle's a team to watch. I think they make a statement uh, on Sunday night. So, I got this. I got the Seahawks winning. I got them winning convincingly, too. Um, I think that this is a, a statement game. Kendall, we're at Kendall's court. We're at the end of the show. What we got this week? Yeah, EJ, I told you that uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of uh, scouting for the 2019 draft. And you know, you know EJ, how I like to be uh, ahead of the curve yep. when it comes to uh, NBA draft, you know, scouting, um, or just really scouting in general, you know, when it comes to prospects. You know, I was slightly ahead of the curve on, on Shohei Otani, Luka Doncic. I always try to find the diamonds in the rough that people aren't covering. Um this time, EJ, we're going to uh, Division Two college basketball. Wow. Okay. Uh, we're going to Point Loma Nazarene College. Where that is, I have a kid, would have no clue. I believe it's in San Diego. Um, and a kid named – no, it's not in San Diego. I don't know where it is. But regardless, what's, what's kid the school called? Dalton, what happened? What's the school called? Point Loma Nazarene. Okay. I'm actually going to Google it. That's but how I am kid named Dalton Holmes. All right, you got it. A kid named Dalton Holmes who has sort of burst onto the scene and is now on the radar of NBA scouts. Uh, an article was written on him earlier this week on ESPN.com by Mike Schmitz of Draft Express. Uh, he's... 6-8 forward. Um, apparently, he was training. He's been training with Gordon Hayward in the offseason. I decided, I was like, all right, a Division two prospect that in November, December is on the radar of NBA scouts. I should probably watch some film to see if this is, like, a fluke or not. So I put on the film, and this kid is certainly an NBA player. Like, <laughs> he's like, he, he's like he, a Division two guy, though. You have to take that into consideration. But, like, he looks like Gordon Hayward. Like, now I see why he was training with Gordon Hayward, because he plays nearly exactly the same as Gordon Hayward does. Um, I hope he, I think he's only a junior. He's 22 years old. So part of me is, like, I kind of want him to transfer to a Division One school. I mean, he could do it to talking about the NBA uh, and do that for a year. But, I mean, as, like, a selfish scout that would hate to – you know, would hate for an NBA team to take a chance on him without knowing how he could do against higher competition. But um, he looks like a guy that I would think about taking in the first round. What, what year is talking about second what, round? What year is he? He's a twenty-two-year-old junior. Okay, I'm looking at this kid now. I'm looking. I'm just looking at his. I mean, this would be unprecedented, or not unprecedented, but this would. I can't remember the last time a Division two guy was taking. In the first round, and you think there's a chance he could be taken in the first round? I don't. Right now, the talk is second round. Okay. Right now, the talk is second round. I he looks like a first round pick to me, like on on film. Now again, the the only tape I've seen of him, I've seen him against Division One competition. Apparently, he went to Western Washington University prior, and they played against Washington, and Marco Fultz was there. And there's a video of him dunking on Marco Fultz. So, <laughs> so he's gonna be the Jordan, okay. he's gonna be the Jordan Crawford next. The next Jordan Crawford, they, you know, he showed him dunking on LeBron, and then he became like an urban legend. 
Yeah, I don't know if Don Quixote Marco Fultz is even impressive anymore. You know, <laughs> it was at one point. It was like, you know, he dunked on the number pick. Yeah. And I was like, he dunked on the biggest bust in the last five years. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, if you watch the film, you'll see that this kid, uh, you can see why people look at him and say this kid could be an NBA prospect. Because it's not every day that we talk about a Division II player, again, in November or in December as an NBA prospect. A lot of times you'll see, like, a week before the draft, you know, some random name comes up, you know, I'll watch the film on this kid. I mean, we're, this is after, like, five games, people are, like, sold. Yeah, this kid is uh, absolutely an NBA player. I mean, just it, like... Yeah. Well, no, I was like, just like when I, when I did Kendall's Court on Luka Doncic, I was like, it's not every day we're talking about, you know, a 17-year-old kid and saying, you know, this kid is, like, the player on his year-old team. You know, so... Whenever we have conversations that I feel like are that abnormal, I, I have a, uh, I feel the need to bring them up on Kendall's court. I think this is one of those cases. So yeah. don't be surprised if this time next year this kid's on an NBA roster and possibly getting minutes. Uh, Point Loma is in San Diego, Kendall. Um, the kid's averaging 22 points, about five and a half assists. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, they played against uh, UC San Diego this year. And he had 28. So there's that. That D1 competition. Yeah, I mean, look, I know San Diego, obviously, you know, Gonzaga fan. We played him twice a year. I don't know what to make of him. I'm not sure what to make of him scoring 28 in his only game against, you know. Oh, no, I messed up. He had had 14. Why did he say he had 28? I must have read the wrong thing. Yeah, he had 14 against San Diego. At that game, he was averaging 28 for the season. Uh, he's at, but yeah, he's averaging 21. He had 14 against San Diego. I mean, he had a good game, five for eight, two hit two threes. I don't know. I, I, I can't buy in that this guy is an NBA player based off of, I mean, he got shot three for 10 against Academy of Art. He's just finding the receipts. I'm looking at, I'm just looking at the stats. I'm just, I'm, you yeah, mentioned, the stats. I'm curious. See, okay. This guy is a D2 player and he's going to get drafted. Well, I, I I agree. You can't just look at them. You gotta put on film. But you do a three for ten against. You put on the film. I mean, you're gonna be like this kid. But like, how can? But well, he's going against D two guys. Like, could, if can I find a good D one player and put him against D two guy? Will he not look very good? Yeah, man. You see, you 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 used to, you were a, a legendary Division three play by play guy. <laughs> you know the competition. Shout out to the guys playing Division two and three. Those guys played mad hard. Uh, they got a lot of heart. Kendall was right. I did. Cover. They're not like complete scrubs. No, yeah, not at all. No, I've tried out for Division Three, so I know. No, these guys aren't scrubs. But we're talking about the NBA. And like, I don't think I'm being disrespectful by saying you, you shoot three for ten against Academy of Art. I'm going to have some questions about whether or not I believe you could, you know, guard Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of questions. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's, I'm going to at least think, have questions and wonder. So, but I don't know. We'll see. It's it's a that's a that's definitely um that definitely would be crazy if if even if he got drafted, let alone especially if he somehow went first round, that would be insane. You know, I don't know if that's ever happened before in the modern era. I I'm sure it has. I just can't think of who that guy first was. First round pick from a D two school. I feel like it has. I feel like there's a guy who like got the crazy. I've who heard played at Oklahoma State and like you know transferred and then. You know, he still got drafted. I feel like it's, it's that thing. I mean, we've had community college guys get drafted. That happens Rodman, a lot. Was Rodman a first-round pick? 
I don't know if I consider him modern era, but like I don't know. I don't, he didn't go school. I don't know. That's a good question. He, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually curious now. I'm actually looking it up. My instinct tells me no, but you remember like a second round pick. Uh, he's second. Round. You're right. Yeah, he did go he's to D two school. But even like he's also an example. I think he first went to Oklahoma State, and then he, I think he's exactly the guy I was mentioning, <laughs> the, the makeup yeah, made up yeah. guy I was talking about. I think that actually was him. I think he did like eventually transfer. I could be making that up, but I, I think he was supposed to go somewhere. I actually read like his biography randomly. All the people that read, read that must have been a uh, an interesting read. It was, but like I didn't get. I don't think I even got to like the stuff like like post like dying hair I, I, I think i read like most of it was like his upcoming it, it's a very good story it's very think, very interesting john starks made, john starks went to Oklahoma State. maybe i was thinking of john starks uh but i do know robin but i feel like robin had also like some kind of issue with like college and like leaving um where he went whatever but uh but i don't you know guys go to really small schools like scotty pippen <laughs> like Central Arkansas, yeah. But like Division Two, yeah. Yeah, let me just yeah, say Division Two. Yeah, it's really something you can Google. I don't know. I mean, Division Two guys draft, let alone drafted in the first round. I mean, NBA, NBA. It's just amazing that this kid's even on the radar this early. So Kendall, actually, I got the answer for you. So the last guy to be drafted in the first round. Uh, was Devin George? Mm. I forgot what school he went to. Augsburg. Yeah, I remember. And then before that, Scottie Pippen. Those are the only two guys we drafted in the first round from Division Two, according to NBA.com. Yeah. The other guys we drafted Pippen, by Division Two. Central Arkansas is not Division Two anymore, but I guess at the time it was. Yeah. The other guys ever to be drafted Division Two. Uh, there's only three other guys. All these guys you know, or two of the guys you know. Uh, Flip Murray. Shout out to Lil Flip. Hey, uh, uh, Shaw. Shaw, he did, yeah. Uh, Mucci Norris. <laughs> he went to West Mucci Florida. Norris. And some guy named Jerome Beasley. He went to North Dakota, who I guess at the time was Division Two. Now, of course, they're Division One school. We've seen him in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I just remember playing the old NBA video games and being like, what's Shaw? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was like, yeah. What's Augsburg? Yeah. I forgot Devin George went to Augsburg. I, I told, I mean, maybe I, I knew that at some point, but I did not remember that recently. He went 23rd. That's crazy. You know how nice you got to be? That's one of those stories. In yeah, I, wanna, yeah, I almost want like, like a 30 for 30 short. Yeah, that could be a 30. That could be a biopic. A guy was went to Augsburg and he went to 23rd in the draft? Like, that's, yeah, that's insane. story. Um, and won an NBA championship. Yes, it, it, multiple. <laughs> Shot Devin George. You had an eleven year career. Yo, I almost feel like this conversation has me wondering, like, yo, should I like interview Devin George? Yeah, or interview him or pitch a Devin George movie from <laughs> well, in L.A. Yeah, Kendall was thinking about money. Kendall was like, well, money wise, you should pitch that movie. I'm thinking about just for like the benefit of the podcast. You're like, oh, Devin George might be a pretty interesting interview. That's a pretty crazy story he's had. <laughs> because like yeah where's the money at <laughs> but uh yeah, that's no that's insane though to go all division two go be drafted not like the last pick in the first round he was 23rd out of 30 teams that, that's that's impressive um i think that's a good place to leave it though so i, I enjoyed this show i hope you guys uh, enjoyed the holidays and 
and stuff if you, for the people who don't listen to other shows and only listen to sports talk. I'm happy that we're back. Uh, we should be back next week with more sports talk. We'll, uh, of course, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, New Generation Media. Follow us on Twitter at New Generation Pod. Follow me on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart and on Instagram at Action EJ. Make sure you subscribe to our, uh, of course, our, our, our uh, podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And make sure you give us uh, a, a, a subscription or subscribe to our channel on YouTube, uh, New Generation Media. And make sure you give some likes on those videos we got. So we'll be back next week again with more sports talk. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.